Okay, so I'm here with, with Taylor. Um, Taylor, this is uh, pretty cool. This is an impromptu podcast. Didn't set this up in advance. Uh, bumped into you in the player slash talent green room. And for like, give me an introduction of who you are and yep. how you found yourself in this environment. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for grabbing me and uh, having me on the podcast. I'm excited to do it. Um, yeah, so uh, Taylor Johnson, um, you know, I've been uh, an athletic performance coach for about 10 years. Uh, majority of my career was spent coaching in college. Uh, in the last two years, uh, coaching the National Football League for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and then the last two years, I've been working in esports. Um, and so for me, I've always told people that my passion is performance, but it's my curiosity that navigates me through the world. And so that's ultimately how I found myself within esports. Um, so the last uh, last year when I was in uh, in the NFL coaching, I realized that the NFL was not the end all be all for me. Uh, I wanted to have a much larger impact, uh, primarily promoting health and wellness to millions of kids worldwide. And I felt that in traditional sports, they've done a lot of things well, but there's also a lot of downfalls. And so I was looking for areas to pivot and I uh, wanted to stay within performance, obviously. And a good friend of mine uh, is a CEO of a tech company out in Toronto. And we were just talking shop one day and he goes, hey, you know, you should check out esports. I was like, huh, that's interesting. You know, I knew of it, but I didn't know how big it was or how, how big it's truly becoming. And I uh, started to unpack it just like I would any other traditional sport and asking the questions I would of any other sport. You know, how do you train? How do you recover? What's the overall structure and organization look like? And I realized very quickly that there's more similarities than differences, although the differences are quite large. Um, and so the further down I went, the further down I went uh, in the rabbit hole, I realized like this is fascinating, and it got completely blown away, and started reaching out to other people in the space, and kept the conversation going, and ultimately, um, you know, in February of 2017, just went all in, and uh, haven't looked back since. And so uh, this past year, I was working for Infinite Esports Entertainment, coaching teams uh, and organizations like Optic Gaming, Obey, Team Allegiance, um, and Optic LOL, and Houston Outlaws. And I uh, had a phenomenal time with them, and now I'm free agent and just consulting in the space and, and really trying to optimize and uh, view things through a different lens and build out a more comprehensive approach to overall esports performance. So, so I guess we can go and, and start maybe uh, with your time in Optic then. As an example, what were some of the, like when you, when you first walked into that job, like what were some, of the, some examples of, you know, you looking at a situation and thinking, okay, this is where I can start. Uh, if, if, you know, if we address things like this or create this approach, this is going to help this, <clears throat> this player or team. Like, you know, how, where did it start in, with yeah. Optic? Uh, I'll actually back up even further. So the first experience I had working with a team uh, was overseas. It was for a Dota 2 team during a boot camp. And so they flew me out to Istanbul for 10 days. And, you know, I've always been a fan of not doing too much too soon, too often. And I really wanted to have it be organic in nature and really start a conversation because you cannot force anything on anyone. It has to happen from really figuring out what is absolutely essential at that point in time. And everybody's different, every team is different. And so from that experience, I realized very quickly um, that a lot of it comes down to structure, systems, and scheduling which for a lot of people and a lot of organizations tends to be very difficult to do with everything that's going on around them. And when it comes down to performance, having those three S's, structure, systems, and scheduling, are the foundations and the bedrock of all things to come. So now fast forward and working with Optic, uh, they hadn't done anything in terms of performance, at least to the extent that we were planning on doing. Um, and so I knew that you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. You gotta smooth out the edges, but there are some fundamental principles. And so for me, 
and taking a step back and looking at that, it was uh, lifestyle, mindset, nutrition, movement, and recovery. So those became our five big pillars and how we broke them down and really started uh, in building out models that can then be built upon in layers moving forward. Um, so working with the teams, you know, we, we created uh, time blocks. We built a facility. So they had came in, had time blocks two to three times a week. And we treated them just like other traditional athletes where they had, you know, an hour training session where you do your, uh, your warm up, mobility, movement, recovery. We shaped the environment uh, to be conducive to a healthier lifestyle where we had meal preps for them. Uh, we had proper nutrition and supplementation available. And the big thing is education. Um, you know, starting off and having these conversations, you know, I'd ask, you know, what's, what's been one of the, what are the factors that have kept you from really getting into health and wellness? And it was interesting, it came down to three things. It was a lack of knowledge, a lack of resources, and a lack of confidence. So I said, okay. Um, let's build that you know, so we had a facility and that was the resources where we had you know all the equipment you can imagine to to really get a great training session in. but more importantly give them tools and the understanding that they can get a great training session in outside of the facility itself and then the lack of knowledge came with just education um, so as a coach there's an art and a science and it's always about developing uh, an education campaign or a model where you can slow drip that information and not have it go over their head. So we were very um, intentional in how we built out our programs so that whatever information we presented, it would stick. And then you just start building that over time. And so that's really where it started out. And then that expanded to um, building that entire Discord channel for them where they had information coming out every day. Uh, we would have, we have our Twitter channel. So I created Inside IPI on Twitter, uh, which is everything around research, training, and recovery, and, and really just trying to promote that message, not only to the players themselves, but also to the, to the broader audience. So how, how does it translate um, to, to esports and esports players? Because obviously, um, like for example, when you're sort of mentioning your pillars, and you know, movement is one of them, you know, uh, someone might, like, you know, you might have a player that's thinking, oh, you know, why do I need to do this? You know, yeah. it's, I, I, why do I need to exercise and so on and so forth? So obviously with an athlete that's what they're already doing and mm -hmm. you can just optimize that so there's some differences there and di did you run into um people that were more resistant and how, how did that how did you overcome that and what were the differences like yeah great question um there's always going to be some sort of um pause when you're trying something different and so the conversation i'd always have is you know why do you do what you do and a classic example or answer rather is uh, well it's the way it's always been done I'm like, great. Are you successful because of or in spite of everything you've done? Which is a very hard question to answer. But what that does is pique the curiosity enough to, to then follow with, are you willing to try something different? So again, it's all about the conversation. And while the movement may seem like it may not make sense for gamers, it's actually very beneficial. When you take a step back and you look at, okay, you're in seated positions for long periods of time, uh, you can restrict blood flow. and that, the moneymaker for these professional gamers is going to be their cognitive output and they'll be able to process information and react. Um, and so with that, the movement was to facilitate uh, a greater work capacity or cardiovascular effect so we can improve cognitive performance. And there's numerous literature out there in white papers that show that, you know, physical training can improve cognitive performance because the body and the mind are connected. And so once you start to have that conversation and when you get individuals in the habit of being consistent with their training, uh, 
I mean, you've probably experienced yourself because you're a fit guy. I mean, you, you tend to think more clearly. You can sustain your focus for longer. And it's just a matter of getting over that initial hurdle to then get past that point. You're like, wow, this is actually working pretty good. And then once you start tweaking the nutrition and you sleep, you sleep better. I mean, that's a recipe for success. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. I think uh, one thing uh, I also find is just calmness. I think it sort of helps me to be like any nervous energy. Would, I think it had more of a physical outlet. The, the sleep is an interesting one. I think that actually um, there's another topic I want to uh, <laughs> attack with you yeah. um, because it, it came up earlier when we were talking. Um, you already mentioned, you know, you had a, uh, a, a friend in Toronto. Is that, is that the Halo neuroscience stuff? Or? No, that's San Francisco. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess firstly, one thing that may have escaped some people, there's been a lot of really amazing studies on sleep and, and thanks to you know popular podcasters like joe rogan i think it, i think his name is christopher walker i think is a guy I who so yeah yeah he, he wrote um a lot of literature as like one of the leading sort of yep. uh, scientists on sleep and uh, so there's more information out there but still a lot of people are sort of unaware that your practice really does take roots in all the repetitions that happen when you're asleep yes. so getting good quality sleep is one of the most it's, it's the easiest thing that is overlooked and when you're young, younger as well it's very difficult i think to to have sort of the presence of mind and, and to feel like you need it because you're young and you're, you're kind of invincible it feels like sure. you're invincible when you're young oh, so yeah. it's like now i feel like i'm fading away I have yeah, to, if yeah. i don't hit the gym I, i'm gonna like walk into another grave it feels like but but um but so yeah how do you um how do you uh, attack this as well because it is it is um like, how do you introduce these ideas to to these professional players? Because from one perspective, too, if they got very good, and as you say, you know, just by doing what they've been doing, um, I, I think it's it's difficult for them to see why that might be valuable. And mm -hmm. I feel like learn like learning is best done when someone uh, perceives something to be valuable. So, and sleep is presumably, if you understand what's happening, should yeah. be the most valuable thing sure. that's still overlooked. So how do we change this culture, do you think, around this? Yeah, great question. I mean, sleep's also the cheapest thing you could do too. I mean, that, <laughs> that's that, a that good is point, your yeah. biggest bang for the buck <laughs> is get more sleep. The second yeah. one, you know, no pun intended, the lowest hanging fruit is to eat better because what you put in your body isn't gonna fuel your body, but also help you recover and recharge. So that feeds into uh, your sleep cycles as well. Um, so the question around sleep is a great one. Um, and again, in looking at the, the practice schedules and, you know, when I was at the 49ers, uh, I managed our sports science. And so I was looking at acute versus chronic loading. And we had a ton of different technology to track that. And so I was looking at seven to 21 day rolling averages where we were capturing guys sleep, whether it was subjective or if we had like a fatigue science ready band on them and tracking their sleep. Um, and what you'd find is, you know, there are it may not be practice itself, but it's everything on the peripheral that feeds in to their overall stress. And everything is stress. A fight with your girlfriend, traffic you drive in, the food you eat, the practice, a win or a loss, it's all stress regardless. Even training itself and recovery can be stressful. Um, so taking that into consideration, it's this, it's this governing dynamic of load management. And so understanding that everything is stress, it needs to be optimized. And really, uh, it's just a proportion of what comes throughout the day, the weeks, the months. And so by having a proper sleep protocol or understanding your circadian cycles, and let's say, you know, for you coming across the pond and having to adjust to that time zone, um, and that's very important, especially if your job is to speak and have, you know, mental clarity. And for these gamers coming across seas and to be able to have a proper sleep protocol, to be able to play at their very best consistently, that is key. And so to really understand that, it's the individual at the at the basic level and saying okay well what time are you getting to bed what time are you waking up and one of the 
the more clear ways to capture that is with some sort of technology to understand what does that sleep cycle look like. So for me, like I'm wearing an aura ring. Um, and that's a wearable technology where it tracks my sleep, it tracks my movement, it's also my activity as well. It's kind of like a Fitbit, but I wear it on my ring because it can, it measures my, uh, my resting heart rate at night and HRV. Um, Very and so, cool. What's, what's that called again? Aura. 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 Okay, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. A-U-R-A. I've been playing around with it for a couple months now and I really enjoy it. Um, I like that better than like the wristwatch. Is that how? Is that very new? Is it's that... fairly new. This is the second generation ring. Okay, uh, it's been around cool. for a little while, but I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, um, like, I like wearable tech. Yeah, Just... wearable wearables are cool, man. It's yeah. like so. My buddy in Toronto, that's what he does. He does wearable tech. Um, so kind of getting back to you know the question is you know once you understand, I mean, even if you don't have the tech, if you can subjectively track your sleep and your mood. So how many hours did you sleep? Do you feel well well rested? And what's your mood? Just those three things and start to be cognizant of that over time. You can kind of peek into that window of, okay, well, am I getting enough sleep? Because if I feel like I'm dragging, and I need five cups of coffee or a couple of energy drinks just to feel normal. Like we had this conversation earlier. Yeah. If you're already below baseline and you're needing supplementation to get you back to feeling okay, well, then you're obviously in a deficit and sleep debt is a real thing. Um, so being able to get yourself back up to baseline so where you can wake up and feel energized is the first thing. The second thing is then from there, it's maintaining consistency with the travel schedules, which could be quite tricky, especially for, you know, for CSGO. I mean, they're all over the world. I mean, they're playing, it's pretty wild, right? Um, so nutrition and sleep schedules on the road, it becomes very important, but on the fundamental levels, it's just understanding, okay, how many hours of sleep do I really need? You know, six, five to six is probably not enough. Well, even though some say like, hey, that's all I need. Well, they've probably never gotten consistent like eight night or, you know, eight hours of sleep consistently because then they'd be like, wow, this is actually really what I need. But everybody's different. So seven to nine hours is probably ideal. Everyone's going to have a little bit of wiggle room with that. Once you maintain that for a certain period of time, then you can start adjusting and you can have different interventions with nutrition. If you, it, It's always interesting too, whether you have a problem falling asleep or staying asleep, because those are two separate issues. Um, so addressing that maybe with some supplementation with melatonin or slow release melatonin. So melatonin by itself and L-theanine is great for falling asleep. Uh, slow release melatonin will keep you asleep. So that's where you can kind of start dosing in the supplementation. Right, and, and that's um, another interesting question, like having trouble falling asleep and circadian rhythm. I know that for, for gamers, one of the, the biggest things is, I mean, for people in general, but specifically gamers as well, is looking at screens yeah. and all the blue light. And uh, I, th- I think I've read that it, it can shift your circadian rhythm by like one to three hours. You mm-hmm. can be like artificially jet lagging yourself. So I feel like that's also something to take into consideration. Definitely. Again, I feel like with the younger players, you don't really feel it. You don't really have that sort of body awareness yep. and sensitivity quite yet. And so it's harder to sort of nail down if you're getting bad quality sleep. And so um, do you have any any tips behind the jet lag one though? Because that that is, that as you, you, you I mean, you said it like, that is a, an undeniable part of the, of the job for these players and for, for the talent as well, you know, flying around all over the place. So how do you get, what is your best chance basically to get yeah. the best quality seat when you're jet yeah. Um I'll first talk about the the, the blue light, oh, the yeah, screen please, exposure, please. and then I'll kind of tie it into the, the jet lag. Um, so the screen exposure, I mean, you can't really get away from it if you're a professional gamer or an amateur gamer spying to be a pro. But what you can do is be very diligent in your cutoff time of when you stop playing. I mean, for many, that's hard, right? Yeah. It's like, say, hey, you know, cut it off an hour before you go to bed. For a lot, that's very challenging. So I say, hey, start with 15 minutes. 
you know, 15 minutes before bed, just shut it off. Uh, and something, what I find too is um, having some good breathing exercises as a tool to calm yourself down uh, is very, very beneficial. And a lot of times, for myself in particular, I have a very active mind. So what I do at night is I journal. I write out, I just brain dump everything that's on my mind in that moment for you know five to 10 minutes and then that's it. I don't have to think about it because I wrote it down. I can come back to it tomorrow. Something I always do too is always write down things I'm grateful for. My lessons learned, because if you're not learning something every day, you're not paying attention. And what were the big wins? I think too often people don't uh, acknowledge the things they're doing right. They tend to focus on the things they're doing wrong. And yeah. there's a balance yeah. between that. So that helps getting to sleep for a lot of people, actually. Um, now, the jet lag is always interesting. Whether you're going uh, crossing time zones forward or backwards, that's always going to kind of play a role. Uh, we were talking about it earlier, but fasting on your long flights is a fantastic way to to really sync up your your sleep cycles with whatever time zone you're in. Um, another thing to start doing is adjusting your sleep, whether you go to bed a little bit sooner or a little bit later, a couple of days prior to actually traveling. Um, so we have full-on sleep protocols for our guys. Let's say they're going overseas from you know Central Time in Texas over to to London. You know we would start. Uh, you know, five days out, we would start adjusting their sleep schedules and basically push it out to where when by the time they actually take off and fly and land, their meal cycles are synced up and their sleep cycles are synced up as best as we can to That's whatever cool. time zone they're jumping yeah. into. And then it's going to be based upon the individual as well. Um, and then what we've done as well is, you know, for guys, I mean, we did this in the NFL too, whether it was on the West Coast going to the East Coast you know, uh, having some melatonin is, I mean, it's fantastic supplementation. You know, you just do a, a larger dose of melatonin that night when you get in to help you reset and then you wake up and you feel great. Awesome. I, I think it's, um, it's pretty incredible. Like the, the amount of sort of tips, like small things, small differences, like the small things, right. To, to get there. I think one thing I learned as well is like hydration, proper hydration is yes. like really important as well. Yes. Um, especially because as, as you mentioned, like the general stress, there, it is happening to us all the time and traveling is very stressful on the body yep. and water just helps to just detoxify things and yep. to help you feel feel more adjusted and and i think for, for any of those people sort of listening and, and sort of wanting to know more about sort of the fasting i think Rhonda patrick has yep. a lot of she's done loads of podcasts and she, she really likes talking about time restricted eating and different yep. uh, diets and eating protocols so that's yep. that's a good shout for for those of you who want to find out more about that but uh, i think um another interesting point um to, to jump back with a little bit that you t were talking about about is sort of how how you kind of frame frame this to, to players when it comes to uh, having that cutoff time because um, I, I struggled with this a lot as well personally and I, and I for me the biggest difference was made in sort of understanding how important the rest time was mm -hmm. to, to performance and understanding yep. that there's I have a certain amount of good hours of focus and good hours of practice during a day yep. and that and that you can kill two birds with one stone yep. by sort of saying okay but at like 6 7 p.m that's that's i'm done now and the, the the time between 7 p.m and 10 p.m now that's me sort of winding down to sleep so like yep. sort of less screens do, doing other activities that might be uh promoting good sleep and so yep. on and that that really helped me massively as because i i started to really realize that i was putting a lot of hours that were really just not very useful yeah, yeah definitely that's a that's a great point and that's i mean that could be a whole other podcast in and of itself so i think um you know really in unpacking that question you know, how to optimize your day. We'll just kind of bundle up in that. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost, what you need to do is, is whatever goal you may have, 
you know, so let's say you want to be the best CSGO player in the world. You know, you need to define that. And what does that actually mean objectively? Um, but then what you need to do is disassociate the outcome and the behaviors, because those are two separate things. The outcome is where you want to go. The behaviors are what get you there. And when you do that, you can actually reverse engineer what that roadmap will look like. And for a lot, that's very challenging. They've never been taught. They don't teach you that in school. They say, hey, you're going to take this test, just study this stuff, take this test, and you're going to move on to something else. Well, that's not life. Life is not like that. Um, so a lot of the principles that we teach are just life skills. You know, and I'm really big on that. I mean, this is about mentorship and, and, and giving people the tools in their toolbox to be successful, not only for in gaming, but in life in general, because that's the most important life. The game of life is the most badass video game you will ever play, <laughs> but you only get one shot at it, yeah. right? Um, so kind of going back to your question. So in, in optimizing your day, I think it's very important to, to look at uh, your practice schedule and to understand, okay, you know, what are, what are your screen blocks? How long are your screen blocks? What are your breaks in between? And so map out what would be like an optimal day for you and then work backwards knowing that you want to aim for seven to nine hours of sleep. So I would start with that. Um, so you start there, then you start to work backwards. Okay, so what do I need to do an hour before I go to bed? That's going to set me up for success to have the best night's sleep. Okay, so now you're working backwards. And then you say, okay, well, leading up to that, you know, what does my nutrition look like? How am I going to fuel my body to optimize not only my practice play, but my recovery at the end of the day, but then the long-term fueling over successive weeks that didn't turn into months. So then you start to plug that in and then you fill in the gaps of where your practice blocks go. But then even in your practice blocks, I mean, this is, this is where I'm very excited about is, you know, you start talking about, you know, load management and periodization for not only the physical, but more importantly, the cognitive load and cognitive periodization and creating practice scripts that make sense that are in line with your overall objectives and goals. And then you can start reverse engineering what that looks like as well. But that's a completely different conversation where the coaches get involved as well. And that's, that's the fun stuff. Um, but in terms of just your overall day, it's, you know, looking at your practice blocks and knowing where those fall. Um, I'm always a big fan of, you know, first thing in the morning, you want to get up and move. And that doesn't mean go out and run five miles. I've always told my guys and gals like, hey, get up and do five minutes of something. You know, whether it's rolling around on the ground and doing some mobility or just taking a hot, cold shower. So like a hot, cold contrast, start out with hot, switch to cold, switch back to hot, do that a couple times, end on cold. Um, and I have a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel you can check out too, and it has all that stuff on there. Um, we can so, talk so about that's that sort of end. like, that, that's a, promotes like a physiological, like, <laughs> or forces a physiological response, like biofeedback type thing, right? Yeah. Where, and like, so, so do, do you wanna, uh, can you explain a little bit of the sort of like the, the hot cold thing? Yeah, yeah, so the hot cold contrast is a fantastic way just to wake up your nervous system or okay. on the flip side, calm yourself down. So depending on what you end on, so whether you end on cold or end on hot, it could be two different responses. Um, so you have your central nervous system, which is governed by parasympathetic and sympathetic tone. So, <clears throat> excuse me, so sympathetic is fight or flight, parasympathetic is rest and digest. Okay, so you basically have the accelerator and the brake, and it's going at the same time. And it's any given time you can be floored or you can, you know, be jacked through the roof. Um, so waking up in the morning, and I hate cold showers, but I know it gets me going. So, you know, I start off with hot. I'm like, ah, oh, man, this feels great. And I'm like, okay, well, here comes the cold, you know. And then <laughs> I switch over as cold as I can. So I'll do, you know, one minute hot, three minutes cold, and I'll do two how, cycles How cold? Because I feel like sometimes, like when I do this, I feel sometimes I cheat. I'm like, yeah, well, I've done that too. Kind of you know? cold, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
It depends, man. As cold as my shower can go. And I'll be okay. honest, man, I don't do it every day. I don't yeah, do it every yeah. day. If I, if I know like I need a jolt, then I'll get it as cold as I can and I'll just rock with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it depends. So, the, on the physiological level, what it's doing is it's systemically, it's drawing your blood from the peripheral, from your extremities into your core and then flushing it back out. So you're getting this circulatory effect. So waking up in the morning and doing a little bit of mobility and then that hot, cold shower is a fantastic way just to get the blood flowing. And when you get the blood flowing from laying, from being horizontal the entire night, what you're doing is priming all the processes in your body getting ready for the day. Uh, so it's just a great way to wake yourself up and get your body going. Do you find that um, this sort of circulatory benefits there that, that really assists or like helps to be preventative towards, let's say, like cold extremities, for example, because sometimes when um, like one of the worst things like being a, a gamer is obviously if your if your hands are feeling cold, because yep. um, sometimes it, you just get this weird feeling where it's just like your feet and your hands are cold and not everything else is fine. And obviously that sucks because you want the blood to be in there. You want it to be warm so it's nice and and, sure. uh, and loose. Yeah. So uh, yeah. part of that too is because you be you're more sympathetic, so you're kind of under yeah. a lot of stress. And people that tend to be under a lot of stress, their hand, their extremities tend to get cold. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you know, doing some easy mobility and we'd have our guys do this too you know before they go sit down at the rig they spend five minutes doing mobility and there's a whole mobility series you can do another thing is you can grab like a, a hyper hyper ice little sphere we have them in the players lounge we could take a picture and show it on i don't know if you have be able to show pictures on your podcast on the website or something but it, it's a vibrating sphere and you can use it to for soft tissue release but i'll have my guys just hold it what it does is it vibrates, so it's increasing the circulatory effect right. in your hands. I prefer that over a hand warmer any day because now mm. you're getting the, the muscles in your hand to activate and wake up. And so just little things like that. Um, but even if it's just doing wrist circles and arm circles and just getting general mobility from your neck down to your ankles is going to improve overall circulation, and that will help as well. Because you got to think you're sitting down for long periods of time, your body becomes very stagnant. And when you do that consistently over time, your body, it's Wolf's Law, it becomes locked into those positions and it only becomes worse if you don't correct it and so a lot of the movement stuff we were talking about earlier is to counteract and balance out those asymmetries that are developed from sitting down for long periods of time it's uh it's, it's really interesting to, to think about it actually because like the crossover uh because when it like uh, i think if anyone's on any any amount, uh, amount of training as well it's it becomes really apparent that when you when you pump up the blood the muscles with, with blood there's like you do your warm-up sets and so on if, if you ever try to just go cold on something like let's, let's say if you, if you do some dips cold or something like that mm -hmm. you'll you'll feel a strength increase on the second set just because now the, the the muscles are full of blood and and that's great and there's more resource delivery and so on and but but the other thing too is that you have more control yep. because because of the strength and so so i think that's uh, that's like a really interesting point that you bring up that this is actually something to think about is how can i be on top of having like good circulation and activating the muscles yep. bringing the blood uh, or, or creating an easy way for the blood to just get where it needs to yep. go because i don't think anyone ever talks about that well there's also gaming. a neurological effect too i mean the reason why you're stronger on the second set than the first one it's the circulatory effect and just the warming of the muscles but it's also a neurological priming Right. So yes. you're basically greasing the groove of your body to get do, get ready to do that muscle pattern or that so movement pattern. Pavel Satsulin. What's that? Pavel Satsulin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, greasing yeah. the groove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kettlebell swings all day, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the same applies, right? I mean yes. to be quite honest, I mean it is. Again, there's way more similarities than differences when you're looking at traditional sports and esports, and so taking the same concepts of the warm up. Now, granted. You know, the biggest difference, obviously, is the physical output. 
but the movement and the physical side still applies. It is still relevant in that you're trying to fuel your brain with energy and blood to create this cognitive effect so that you can maintain focus for longer periods of time, be able to process information at a much faster rate. And so by doing movement, I don't think a lot of people realize this, but the movement feeds into that. You know, it feeds into your mental clarity. You know, obviously you don't want to do a full-blown workout and sit down and game, although we did have our guys get to that point. But a lot of, a lot of our training was based on work capacity. And we would camouflage the training sessions with a lot of prehab. So obviously in rehab, you're already injured. Prehab is preventative. So knowing that you're sitting down for longer periods of time, we would structure or weave into the fabric of the programs corrective exercises to balance out the body, all the while improving circulatory effect. So by the yeah. time they go and sit down, they're like, shit, I feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, man, just game. You know, that's, now do your thing. That's like, I love that point so much. Like, I, I feel like that, as you, like you said earlier, like this is a podcast in and of itself. I feel like that is also like a podcast in and of sure. itself because because um, in, in being interested in training, I've slowly sort of begun and also been injuring myself as well and doing the research yeah. to make sure I don't do that again yeah. and to also figure out where my weaknesses are. And, and I've done so much gaming that a lot of the weaknesses that I do have um, are, are based on a combination of my anatomy, which I think a lot of people don't think about specifically their anatomy and how that impacts what kind of technique and how their training will look mm -hmm. like and how you should treat your body uh, or pre like prehab basically yep. and prevent be preventative of injury for the future. But also um, it's, it's a case of just feeling good all the time in your yes. body. And that, as you said, like it's all connected and it's gonna help performance. Um, so so um, <laughs> did, did I miss anything? I, I kind of brought you back onto the hot and cold thing. Sure, Because yeah. I want to finish that before we go yeah, into yeah, like yeah. the Yeah, Sorry, the I, go, I go on tangents. On, no, yeah. no, it's perfect. I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> We're probably a dangerous combination. But I want to get back to the CNS. Yes. But, but if, if you, yeah, if you want to continue on, uh, uh, follow your train of thought, if you can remember uh, following the hot and cold yep. and other stuff that you can help to, to prep Yeah, yourself. so in the morning, uh, ending on cold is a great way to prime. Then at night, doing the same sort of protocol, but flip the ratio. So one minute cold, three minute hot. Is going to create more of a parasympathetic effect and calm your body down. Um, you can also do like, a, I mean, I'm a huge fan of just uh, doing Epsom salt baths because you get a lot of magnesium. And I think we were talking earlier as well. I mean, a lot of people are deficient in magnesium. Yeah. So doing a hot bath for 20 minutes and using that time to really focus in on your breathing. I think breathing is a phenomenal gift and that is free as well. The air is free, but training your body to take in oxygen and to increase your level of CO2 tolerance uh, to be able to use less oxygen but more readily uh, is a fantastic tool just for overall conditioning. So is that, is, what, are, what are the direct outcomes there? Is it better focus, better endurance, or what are the sort I mean, of specific? Any, anytime you can improve your breathing capacity, it's just going to improve everything. I okay. mean, you can, you know, whether it's for uh, a meditative practice to calm yourself down or we'll, we'll have our guys do some breathing in between in between games, you know, three breaths in between a game just to reset, reset and reload. Um, that kind of helps with uh, being able to disregard everything that happened in the previous game. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of players will get tilted because they can't let go. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're staring off the, the hot cold again, but um, that's all we like going into mindfulness. So yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Gonna, yeah. But uh, just to tie, to tie off the hot cold, I mean, there's, there's fantastic ways. You can do it in the morning, do it at night. Again, it's going to cause a circulatory effect. It could feed into whether parasympathetic or sympathetic. So fight or flight or rest and digest. Ending on cold is going to be more sympathetic, get you jacked up. Ending on hot is going to be more sympathetic and bring you down. Um, so now going back to the mindfulness part, 
and I promise I'm not usually all over the place like this, but I'm I'm, <laughs> it's, I'm it's enjoying probably, jamming out like this. Yeah, it's, yeah, fun. it's, probably, it's probably my fault. Yeah, no, this is fun, man. This is fun. So yeah, the mindful the mindfulness part is key. So being able to breathe and bring yourself down, I mean, it's a great way to auto-regulate those two systems, the sympathetic and parasympathetic. I mean, just by doing, uh, there's a protocol called breath of fire where it's a very short yeah. or it's a uh, kind of an in-between inhale through your nose and it's a kind of a violent exhale. <sighs> And you do that short burst for, you know, extended period, 30 breaths. By the end of that, I mean, you're feeling, you're feeling alert and awake. Whereas if you were to do box breathing, so five in, five second pause, five count out, five second hold, you know, and you imagine doing a box, that's going to drop your heart rate down and give you a very cool, calm, collected state. So by using just those two practices, you can get yourself up or get yourself down. And then that kind of leads into knowing yourself and uh you know when you look at the inverted u of sports psychology of, of arousal you know you're basically you don't want to go too far on the curb where you're uh over arousing you're over jacked up or you don't want to be under aroused or you know underperform you want to find that sweet spot so knowing your body and knowing um what's going to get you uh in this state of flow and then using the breathing to feed into that is a fantastic tool for the toolbox. Music does the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So people have certain playlists where like, hey, I'm going to go lift weights or I'm going to go game, whatever it may be. It's like they listen to certain playlists. Well, if you pay attention to whatever songs you gravitate towards, some it may be, you know, some hard, hard style dubstep. Others, it may be, you know, classical music. It really depends on the individual. But knowing that about yourself is very interesting as well because you can use that as another tool to layer on or put in your toolbox to say, okay, if I'm, if I'm too jacked up right now, my hands are cold, I'm all over the place. Well, then maybe I need to bring myself back down to, zone, to get dialed in. So that, that to me is like interesting too, from the perspective of, of reference points. Cause yes. I, I find that quite useful. Um, let's say, um, so, sometimes what I'll do is I really like using the, the steam room or the sauna, yep. um, after a workout. And I, I think that, um, I mean, that has a, a lot of, you know, a whole host of sort of, you know, like circulatory benefits, yep. uh, it triggers you know some physiological benefits as well. Uh, and but but beyond that is uh, beyond that, I, I like to use that and take advantage to try to do some meditation practice and do some mindfulness. Good. And and uh, I found that um, when I'm in those states, I'm like learning to understand those states. If I sort of create a snapshot and almost a reference of like what that is, like almost like a memory that that I can go back to. I can then summon that later, and then it has almost like this reverse effect, like a biofeedback type effect, yep. um, which which I found quite useful yep. in helping me, like as you said before, like you know accept whatever has, negative thing has just happened and allow me to sort of just move on. Yep. And so that's that, that's that's a really I like that you brought that up. Yeah. So yeah. that snapshot is what I would call anchoring. Right. So you you have that snapshot. You understand. Okay, this is a good feeling. Like this is whatever it got me to this point's great. You want to anchor that. So whatever you did up to that point, you can then reference that to get back to that state. Um, you know, another we talked about tech earlier. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people are familiar, but Subpack. Are you familiar with Subpack at no, all? No. So Subpack is a it's a fantastic piece of tech. I mean, I, I love music in general. So it's a backpack with a subwoofer in it. Okay. <laughs> nice. So it's it was uh, originally designed for um, audio engineers to to get feel the feedback of the bass that they were putting in, uh, but you can wear it when you listen to music, and you can use it for a number of different things. And there's actually an app, a company called Apollo, and uh, researchers from the University of Pittsburgh 
um, they created this app where there's five different zones and they discovered that different frequencies of bass can actually elicit a physiological response. Um, and it's, it's so cool, man. So basically I'll wear my sub pack and I have my app and I'll use it either for meditation or neural priming or even when I'm just working, like I have my, my backpack on. It's pretty sleek too. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool looking. Uh, my headphones and they have, uh, I'll show you later, but they have, you know, different settings that you can choose. And it's all about just having a certain frequency that keeps you locked in and in the zone and your body, your heart would actually sync right up, sync up to it. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. So it's a great yeah. way to get some feedback, you know, so this haptic feedback to then get your physiological feedback system dialed into it. So that's another cool way to get yourself primed or calmed down. So I think, um, uh, again, for, for those, those listeners, um, I'm familiar with like the bio, like the idea of biofeedback sure. is I think, um, um, another way to to sort of think about it as well is is like we have all these ways to sort of trigger like what we want as opposed to reacting in a certain way. And um, some people like call this sort of meta heuristics, where your body just like you know uh, heuristics. You know, our body just has certain behaviors and patterns of behaviors when we get certain uh, stimu stimulus. Uh, but but so if you become aware of what your behaviors might be or what they look like, let's say in a body language, we know that it's pretty common knowledge if someone's crossing their arms, you know, maybe they're, they're feeling a little standoffish, a little bit uncomfortable. And if they instead sort of put their arms out and they're going to be more uh, more confident, more personable. And that's, that's you know, what a confident person looks like. So if you're feeling standoffish now and you, you can think, oh, I'm actually in this position, this actually tells me that oh, I'm actually feeling a bit uncomfortable. How, how about I, I change? Uh, and that's, that's you interfering in a sense yep. with this process. And then what, what happens is your body responds and then your mind follows, yes. which is really cool. And so that's like the, this feedback yes. uh, stuff that you're talking about. Because I think sometimes people, uh, it, it, it can get, like if you haven't really experienced it or played around with it, I feel like it can be hard to grasp the idea, but yep. it's really powerful. Oh, it's powerful. And yeah. there's so many different ways, like you're saying, um, there with, the, with the music and everything else and, and creating reference points and, and sort of understanding how to generate more of a, uh, you know, meditation aside, but like just understanding of what it feels like yep. in, to certain things. Like what, what does this feel like? What am I feeling right now? And, yep. and have, creating a sensitivity, like a palette for your own body and its experiences. Yes. Really useful. I mean, that's just, that's a human experience, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that could be a whole other podcast as well. Yeah. But you, you, called out, you called out a great point. I mean, it's, it's a noticing and naming that current state that you're in, which a lot of people just kind of blow right past. So when I worked with guys in the past, you know, they, let's say they're classic, they tilt all the time. Yes. I'm like, okay. Um, what happens in that moment? You know, there's a trigger. There's an obvious trigger, but what happens before the trigger and what happens after? Can you create reference points to you, up to that point where if you notice you have a certain tendency to tilt in certain situations, what happens leading up to that? Can you notice and name it before it actually happens? Because if you can catch it before, great. Then it's a matter of creating tools and interventions to then figure out what happens thereafter. Uh, but again, it's just part of the human experience and just being present in the moment and ex experiencing it, noticing and naming it, and then having tools in your toolbox and then move forward and navigate that space. And a lot of times people, what I've experienced is they just kind of blow past it all. They're like, oh, well, I'll fix it next time. Yeah, yeah. Well, next time it may be the difference between a win and a loss, so you probably should figure it out right now. Um, and that's where a lot of the mindfulness comes in. And it's not all the woo-woo stuff. I mean, it's very- It's focused, right? It's, exactly, not, it's not like right? using your mind. It's like, it's actually being very specifically focused. Yes. Which is what 
I think people don't understand. Yes, I mean, then that can go back to optimizing your day. I mean, layering that in as well. Mm. Like having having times where you can actually, you know, sit and visualize and a debrief at the end. I've, I've been around a lot of teams and even in, even in pro sports and traditional sports, their debriefs are not very good. You know, having a firm after action review where you can sit down and compartmentalize and unpack what happened and say, okay, what were the lessons learned? What were the big wins? What were the lessons learned? What were the mistakes, right? What do we do well? Okay, let's not make those same mistakes in the next practice. Let's go do that. You know, taking away some key learning points and then being able to track that over time and then look back and reflect and say, okay, well, how do we do this week in practice? Um, how do we do this last month in practice? Are we making the same mistakes? Because if we are, then we need to go back and think about how we're structuring practice and the different set pieces and whatever it may be. Um, so then again, that kind of feeds back in just to this overall awareness of what's happening day to day. It's um, it's interesting too, because I know that some people can become disconnected because um, for, I know that some frustration or anger can uh, be elicited if you, because if you if you're going to be a professional player, you've you've already sort of attached this that as your identity. That's become a part of who you are. You invest so much time in it. If if you fail at it, you're obviously going to be angry. But I think some people get frustrated as well when they feel like they don't know what the next step is to improve. And so that's why I also really like um, you saying, uh, how did you put it? like name it sense notice and name no, notice and name yeah, yeah. like like and linguistic like linguistic tools like creating like a linguistic way like a, a way to understand what what is actually happening is so important and i think that's also overlooked yes. because um, if we were in a world where imagine like you know we couldn't we couldn't communicate um we didn't have words to sort of to sort of um uh, what's the best way to put it? To sort of encapsulate a variety of feelings and sort of categorize it, then we would just be or be in the Stone Age still. Like that's sure. just how you learn and, and understand what what is valuable. Everything is is linked to that. So I think it's super important, and that's what's really why, like, what I think people should be thinking about when they're learning anything is what, like, how can I, like, what 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 are we actually dealing with here? Yep. And so the more data, the better. The more linguistic tools, the the better. And I think it's it's also really interesting to to sort of. Uh, for people to understand where the next step is yep. and not get this and not get disconnected because in teams sometimes what I see is that well, as you were talking about sometimes a team will be addressed as a team and so the individual's experience which is so intense to them mm -hmm. is not necessarily addressed and they themselves might not have the tools they have, yep. they have to be very talented innately but they might not have the tools to get there themselves so did you find that this was ever an issue do you work like very closely on an individual basis and tailor absolutely everything or do you have more of a general approach or is it yep. a need must type situation oh, that's a great question and that kind of ties into this overall picture of, you know, this load management and understanding, um, you know, that the teams are created of collective individuals, right? Um, so, yeah, I've worked, I've worked with uh, specific individuals one-on-one. -on -one, um, and I'm not a sports psychologist, but there are some, some principles and tools that you can apply and, and, and readily use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just understanding the mechanics of, of like you said, linguistics, like noticing and naming, understanding triggers, working backwards and forwards from those triggers and having a proper after action review where you can actually unpack what happened in that last training session to then figure out, okay, collectively as a team, what did we do well? Okay, individually, you know, and you kind of drop down to the individual aspects. Like in National Football League, you know, they have team meetings, position meetings and individual meetings. I mean, there's a reason why they do that. And there's things you can perfect in that system as well, but they realize that it's not just the team itself, it's individuals that make up that team. 
And, you know, you don't, the team's only going to be as strong as your weakest link. So you need to make sure everybody is dialed in. And this kind of brings up another point, too, is, you know, in looking at burnout amongst players. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'm a firm believer that it's a lack of coping mechanisms that tie into this burnout. Because burnout, in my opinion, when we ask other players, too, I mean, it's just overall stress. It accumulates. They're like, all right, I'm done. You know, why does it have to be that way? And I think if we could do a better job of creating these these tools in the toolbox to have better coping mechanisms, both for in-game and all the peripherals, life skills and understanding proper player development and building out a more complete human being, you're going to play much longer. Because it's all about performance and longevity. And that's going to benefit the individual and it's, it's going to benefit the teams as well. Because if they're going to have a greater ROI on their investment for the player, the player's happier, you know, performance of well-being through the roof. They're playing longer. I mean, it's just a win-win all around. It's um, I actually uh, I actually think it's it's amazing um, how much esports could grow in oh, this it's, department. It's it, it's for you, exciting, it must man. be like a kid yeah. candy story. It's like yeah. oh, it's just I don't know which way to turn. You know, there's so much to be done. Yeah, and developed in that category because obviously the other thing is we are dealing with with youngsters who are. Um, I mean, I, I know it's the same in sports to a degree, but because I guess um, you know, this tends to be less social, I, I think a lot of the gamers will gravitate more towards stuff that might be um, not necessarily antisocial, but like more introverted activities, perhaps. And also the time spent traveling and the current the current schedules are not great for, for players. Like they sh players should have more free time. And mm -hmm. we're only now getting to this point where some of the, like the best team in the world, Astralis, you know, they have a really good approach as to understanding like what you know off like how much off time they need yep. and one of the problems i think was um not only because we have all these tournaments but it's because a lot of the the uh, the um, teams the team owners really want their their players of course to go to everything if they possibly can because that's more exposure more money for, for the for the the team and the brand sure so so it's um and so there's this like weird sort of um uh, consideration which is a little bit out of the hands of some of the players so as you said like understanding the coping mechanisms is super important um is is there anything is there anything in general that you've noticed seems to be commonly an issue that's a, that has an easy fix when it comes to this kind of thing like like we, we you know you look at um teams or, or players and it's just oh it's, this is esports this tends to be a common issue or anything like that yeah um my first reaction my knee-jerk reaction with this is that um I think teams practice maybe too much. Yeah, yeah. And that's just, again, an outsider looking in. I don't come from the eSport world, uh, but I know that there is a minimum effective dosage in which you can get the results you want in a certain period of time. And I think a lot of, a lot of times players go well beyond that upper threshold of what's beneficial because there is a point of diminishing returns. Yeah. And so when you're staying up late and you're doing solo queue or playing whatever, I mean, that's just adding on more stress to your plate. I mean, imagine you have a cup and you're filling and, and stress is water and you just keep adding water to your cup. Eventually it's going to overfill. Um, and so understanding that from a coaching perspective and how they're creating their practice scripts day to day and week to week and then factoring in the travel schedules. I mean, that's where when you say being a kid in a candy store, I mean, that's what this is my wheelhouse of looking at load management and saying, okay, let's work with the coaches and let's understand on a much deeper level that these teams are, are created of collective individuals. Okay. But from a team standpoint, what can we do to facilitate the best practice schedule possible to optimize and allow them to be more successful on game day, which is when it is the most important. 
So proper periodization of the number of, hour, of hours played per day and then balancing that out with having a social life and having, you know, just being a kid man, and going out and having yeah, fun and yeah. being with your friends. And I mean, understanding it's all about balance, you know, it will come come back to haunt you later. Like yeah, maybe, exactly. Maybe, you know, you're playing well now, but maybe the lack of the social life in sure. three years, you'll start to be like, I really wish I had this. I really wish and I had And then that leads into burnout, too. So imagine if you started right out the gate with a, with a good enough balance to where they felt fulfilled in all aspects of their life. Um, so I say, you know, one of the biggest things to look at is just to practice schedules and understanding how many hours per day is absolutely necessary. And a lot of that, I mean, like Cal Newport in his book, Deep Work, talks about, you know, four to five hours of real meaningful work. And then anything after that uh, tends to be just a drop off. So being very smart in how you create your practice blocks and giving yourself enough time to reset in between. Um, and there's a couple of variations of ways you can go about doing that. But I think that's probably one of the easier ways to do it. But then again, it goes back to, well, this is the way we've always done it. Yes. Let's yeah. play for eight to 12 hours a day. I'm like, okay, that's great. It got to where you are now, but will it keep you in the game? Yeah. Because the key now is like, you've got to that level and that's awesome. Let's keep you here. Let's say, let's, let's have you have the longest career possible. You know, I'm, I'm curious to see who's going to be the gamer who could play for 20 years. Absolutely. Be yeah. Because you could, yeah. you, you literally could. I mean, that's, what's so amazing about this sport is that you can, you can have a very, very long career if you create the lifestyle and, um, create the support systems that are be conducive to do so. Yeah. That's, that's actually been one of the funny, uh, sort of notions that we've not really had the data to test yet is people initially assumed, oh, you know, you, you can't keep going forever because it's about reactions, which is not really the, mm -hmm. not really a thing. Um, I mean, reactions are obviously important, but there's so much more is more important and you can cheat that in so many ways. And so there's not really any, we don't really have, it's so new, you know, like I, I think uh, maybe the oldest player, I think from um, a mechanical perspective, as we describe it in Counter-Strike, that's the best is Forrest, who he's, he's still incredible, still able to play like career best level. And he's 30, he's been doing it for since 2005 or six. So he's been doing awesome. it for good 12 years. And he's, uh, I don't know that we have too many more players older than him, but he's in that age range by far the best, I would say, unless I'm missing somebody. And um, I would love to see him playing longer as well, because yeah. obviously from a, from a brand perspective, that's yeah. amazing. That's like so, so cool. Could you imagine like, he's probably seen damn near everything. Yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah. imagine like the, the IQ on, the gaming IQ on him. Yes. I mean, that's why you look at guys like Tom Brady in the National Football League. His football IQ is through the roof. I mean, he's yeah. been playing for a long time. You, and then, you know, um, I was on the 49ers, like, you know, Justin Smith. I mean, that guy was a phenomenal defensive lineman, but he had played for a long time. He knew what was going to happen. He would call his own, he would change the line himself. It wasn't, I mean, the D-line coach would do his job, but, you know, Justin was changing changing plays on the line just because he had played for so long he could sense what was going to happen yeah yeah and then you know sure enough they'd get a sack or whatever it may be and so i think you know that's what's exciting too as you can extend the careers of the players i mean think about just the level of talent and the level of knowledge I mean, if you're on a team with somebody who's been playing for 15 years imagine what you can learn from that individual yeah, yeah. and that's exciting too i mean then it's just continue to evolving uh, this knowledge acquisition and passing it along to these younger players. Um, and, and two, you know, it, it's all about, it's all about sharing, like knowledge is power, but only if you share it, you know? So I think having these players that can extend their careers and then sharing the stories of what they did to stay at the top of their game, 
and I'll, I'll reference back, you know, the traditional sports, the guys who've been playing for the longest, they always swoop up guys under their wing. You know, it's like these young bucks, these rookies, you know, they show them the road. But you got you to gotta prove yourself worthy of that. And then once you are, I mean, it's like they're just there to just drop knowledge on you. Yeah, and within a good system and a team, it's, yes. it's amazing what happens. Like, we've got some good examples in Counter-Strike of that, but we've also got some good examples of of the opposite where you have maybe some of the more uh, veteran players who have been there and, and done it, but they're playing within a bad system or a bad culture. And then those players are like the younger players who are very talented and maybe taught um, that, oh, I don't actually have to work very hard sure. or, or, you know, they're just generally the wrong behaviors. So, but it makes an enormous difference. I've seen also lots of like really compelling young talents in Counter-Strike and I've, I've seen them just, they're just not in the right team. They're just yeah. not, they just don't have that guy to guide them. And, I, and, you, and you see then maybe like a year or two later, um, I think we had something, uh, a similar thing with Renegades to a certain extent uh, recently where it just, like we had two players, um, JKS and Azza, who everyone everyone has seen their potential. And they're the, they've the hottest talents, you know, coming out of the Oceanic region for so very long, but they could never find any success. Mm. And it was always very frustrating. And there's there's just so many examples of it, just how talent can get brought up and, and that can be improved so much. Like oh, I yeah. really feel like, you know, if, if you if you were to, to to go around and do a bunch of workshops and if there was, you know, generally more awareness around this sort of thing that we would have a uh, like an incredible scene just filled with amazing talents yeah. and just it would it just speed up the process massively speaking of which um what has been the reception um to you going around and entering esports and doing the kind of work that you do because in theory like what, everything you're talking about i, I think it makes you know, i think it makes perfect sense sure. i think it's amazing i think that's the next step but is that also being reflected from a business standpoint are businesses really interested right now or the all the, the the gaming organizations yeah great question um it's uh it's been an interesting road because i think it's, it's still quite a novel concept although i think when you take a step back you realize that it's very fundamental and necessary um uh, i've talked to a lot of other teams and orgs and they're curious and they're receptive some may not be ready to fully dive in and explore it uh, on a deeper level but it will come with time um, especially as uh, more and more money gets uh, invested into esports and it becomes more it, it takes after more of this traditional model of how teams and organizations are ran and I'm not talking about the corporate side I'm talking about just understand going back to the three S's structure systems and scheduling and having to be more dialed in um, and there's a lot of teams that do that quite well but there's always room for improvement and so when you start to look at those models and optimize within those models I mean, the sky's the limit. And that's what makes me most excited is, okay, there's already an existing system out there that could be optimized. Um, it's just, again, going back to your point about culture, it's finding the right culture and understanding the why. Like, why are we here? Once you identify that and then everyone can resonate with it, you know, the what and the how just fall into place. Um, and so I've had some phenomenal conversations and I'm excited about what 2019 brings. Uh, and just really looking forward to having a positive impact in the space because I've seen what traditional sports has done, both what they've done well, but more importantly, the downfalls. And that's what I'm really most excited about is bringing like these lessons learned. Let's not make the same mistakes in esports. And right now it's more or less a blank canvas of what can be done with, on the performance side, but more importantly, the player development side. You know, what I was building uh, with Infinite and Optic was actually three pillars. The first one was player development, both personal and professional, bringing together programs around financial education, um, social media, PR, 
uh, relationships, both healthy and toxic, time management, stress management, that was one bucket. The second bucket was eSports performance, and that's everything around lifestyle, mindset, nutrition, movement, recovery. And then the last one is let's, let's build a bridge program to give mentorship and guidance so that gamers could be successful for life after gaming. Right. Yeah. You know, so these are these are the three big pillars that you know I'm really excited about because those concepts I pulled over from the NFL and collegiate sports. Uh, what went well and what went wrong? It's like okay, you know, we've got this recipe. Now let's and again, it's not trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Things will be different, but that's the exciting part. It's this tinkering and figuring out what fits and what doesn't, and it all starts with a conversation. Um, and then going back to your point about you know this talent identification and selection. That's something I've been thinking very deeply on as well, especially with a lot of the science that's been coming out. Uh, we did a study with the University of Montreal uh, with our Overwatch team and an academy team where we were looking at uh, a cognitive profile. And so we did a couple of cognitive assessments and some, t- some testing, and we cross-referenced that with 4,000 other elite athletes in traditional sports. And uh, the preliminary data coming back is there's obvious similarities and differences, but the similarities are really profound and the differences are quite interesting as well so once we can start compartmentalizing you know this cognitive assessment and saying okay well what makes a great gamer you know what are some like three things we can look for in a gaming in a gamer uh, on a cognitive standpoint let's identify that and then let's start looking across different gaming titles are there similarities and then within the positions of each gaming title are there similarities and what are the differences and you can start you know Paring down and saying, okay, well, what are the things we're actually looking for? But then you factor in the social factors. Uh, you know, like in the NFL Combine, they do full battery of cognitive assessments, both from, uh, you know, the objective standpoint and reaction processing, but also from a personality standpoint. Like, what's going to make a, a great team? Um, and understanding, you know, the interactions and understanding social cues. And uh, I mean, these are all important things, but I, that's what excites me too, is understanding the talent identification and selection and having a proper process to do that, to elicit the best chance to make the best team. That's, um, I mean, I, actually quickly, I, I want to go back a little bit. Sure. And uh, you, you mentioned sort of lessons learned from um, sort of the mainstream sports. So, yes. so what are the, the sort of biggest mistakes that you think have been made that you can help us, you know, hopefully uh, have us avoid? Yeah, um, my, the, the one I always go to is creating proper education on how to get better support structures. Okay. And so what I mean by that is, um, you know, this isn't anything against the NFLPA. I think they do a great job. However, I feel that, uh, you know, they'll present information. Uh, they'll have like a workshop on financial education. And for the most part, that's it. It's kind of like a one and done. Uh, they may circle back to it, but in my mind, what you'd want to do is create almost like an education campaign. And so what I'm fond of is breaking things down into habits that then compound over time and turn into lifestyle changes. So the same way I would build out my, my education for my players, the same way I would build out all layers of the player development, the esports performance and the bridge program is create interventions or programs where uh, you have like workshops for maybe like the first month or like every two weeks is good. There's a little bit of information and then you can slowly build on that information over time. So it's not too much too soon, too often. Uh, it's this idea of like fence posting. So when you're building a fence, you drop a fence post, you walk a couple of feet, drop another fence post, but you always circle back and make sure you reinforce the fence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same principle. Um, so it's, it's creating proper programs around that to really make sure it sticks. 
Um, and it's been quite successful for what I've done with my guys. And, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool to see. Again, it's just the mentorship side of it too. You know, then also kind of giving them a heads up, like, hey, this kind of rookie induction, like, hey, when you come into, uh, you know, pro gaming, this is what you can expect. Here's your onboarding process. Like, here are the tools and resources. Here are the contact information. Like, give them a proper introduction to here's everything you need or at least the start of everything you need to be successful as a professional gamer um, and have, you know, points of contact for them to reference and have these, these uh resources in place for them to reach out to and they do that in traditional sports as well but it can always be done better yeah yeah that's 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 what it's all about right exactly keep, keep improving the process and uh and it, it is exciting like the blank slate of esports um I, again I, I want to jump back a little bit because I, yeah. I just remembered um, a topic i wanted to to go to go through um i don't want to keep you forever which no. i mean we can hey, definitely man, do i can do this all, you, do this all day man yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, i wanted to touch on uh the the cns a bit and uh, we can do maybe like supplementation sure. and then maybe nutrition just like a, yep. a, a bit afterwards um so so the central nervous system um, it's obviously like very important. I think um, as a quick outline, when people think about sort of strength training, it's um, you know it's, it's a practice element as well as well as which is sort of, sort of teaching your body you know how to fire off which muscles in which order to make that process efficient, and that's kind of what the CNS is doing in strength, and that has strength gains as as opposed to just the physical sort of muscle itself building up and, and so on. So how how do you think that that actually also applies or how we could think about it applying to to gaming like counter-strike for example like what is it is it important is it something that we can think about and somehow get an edge if we understand how to approach it better or what what, what do you think about it interesting hmm i would say uh one of the interesting like sequencing that you can think about is how you can maintain your posture um you know, so for instance, when you do a deadlift, uh, there's a certain sequence you want to go through in terms of bracing your core. You know, you want to squeeze the glutes, you want to bring your rib cage down, and you want to like squeeze the lats. And in that, in that step, you basically lock in your spine, and then you can then pick up a load. I think something similar could be done when you're gaming, although you want to be thinking about bracing your core the entire time. But having these, these certain cues. Uh, to where if you could feel your body start slouching in certain positions, again, it goes back to the notice of name, you can kind of do a quick reset. So I think while, again, in traditional sports or traditional physical activity, um, that may make more sense. In gaming, it may not have as much crossover, more so just having the ability to notice when you're starting to fall back into uh, unfavorable positions and to kind of write yourself up. And this kind of goes back into your point you know, body positioning is key. So if you feel yourself starting to slouch, like let's say you're getting your butt kicked in the game, you're starting to slouch, well maybe notice and name that and like get a better upright posture, improve your circulatory effect and get back in the game. That could be something you can use. Um, and I have to think about that a little bit more in terms of the sequencing on, on, a, on a deeper level for the CNS. Yeah, I because mean, um, one of the ways I th think about it at least is um, uh, like we, we mentioned, uh, uh, is a project called Halo Neuroscience or Halo Halo Neuroscience? Halo yeah. Neuroscience. Um, so, so that's and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I've, I've seen this, this uh, like I think on Instagram and floating around the, on the internet, and people. Have, I think I listened to a podcast on it a while ago. It's, it's sort of this project where you have this wearable tech, so kind of kind of like headphones. Um, and the idea is, um, it's supposed to help stimulate or make the neuroplasticity effect sort of mm -hmm. more efficient. And yep. that's sort of basically whenever you're 
doing let's say you know if you're if you're practicing like a, a stroke in tennis or something or yep. a backhand or a forehand or something like that in your practice like if you do that for five weeks you know over, over time your, your brain learns exactly the it like creates the right neural pathways yep. and it reinforces them and then you get better and your technique improves over time and so the idea with this product is that it sort of shortens that time yep. or makes it more efficient uh, so is do you think that's a yeah, and that's that's actually one of the, we were gonna do a study with Halo Neuroscience and looking at that in gamers, and I still want to kick that off. I think I think in games like Counter Strike, we'll find motor exactly. movements. I actually think that it'd be a yeah. really good test. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're 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 a fantastic group of individuals over there, and they're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. essentially, Halo Neuroscience, what it does, it's a neural primer, and so it allows you to optimize that window of the learning efficiency. Um, and so, yeah, to your point, I mean, if you were doing a backhand in tennis, you know, it's greasing the groove, right? So yep. essentially what you're doing is priming yourself for that, for those motor patterns. I mean, in a game, it's fine motor skills, but it's still motor skills. Yeah. Um, and again, in looking at specific sequencing or the shooting, the aim, like we were going to use Aim Hero to, to use it to, uh, to test and retest and say, okay, well, are there improvements in this? Um, and I think there would be. And so that's exciting. So to, to be determined, you know, but I, I think... Um, we're going to circle back and we're going to get that study done. So if there's any uh, pro amateur gamers out there that want to participate, yeah. hit me up. Let me know. We'll do it. Actually, a fan of Amy Rowe. Like that, like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, another thing, actually, going back to sort of you brought up posture. Yep. Again, th th there are actually some bigger topics I do want to like yeah, hit, yeah. You, hit you up again in the future. Yeah. But um, I've always been really against like the what have become gaming chairs and I've always like preferred like the office chairs like sure. like what Herman Miller might might provide because for me it feels like I get a lot better support yep. and freedom and the gaming chairs are sort of like race car chairs but sort of yep. made a bit more comfortable yep. and now they become gaming chairs and and so how do you like what do you how do you choose your chair and mm -hmm. and how do you sort of maybe habituate yourself into like having a good sitting posture for gaming at the get-go because yep. someone like me I've I'm always fighting with this I I I lean in because yes. I'm it's, it's more intense I'm more focused yeah, so I yeah, lean yeah. in it's very difficult to sort of figure that out yep. so do you have what are your thoughts on yeah this? Um, that's it's so funny you bring that up um, I've actually talked to Herman Miller about you know this concept and I to be honest I never understood why the gaming chairs are the way they are uh, they're modeled after race car seats no exactly yeah it's just which like is you know when really you're in formula one and nascar you are glued to your seat because you're yeah. going 200 plus miles per hour <laughs> yeah in gaming to your point i mean you're leaning forward and so i never really quite understood i mean they look cool um and some of them could be comfortable for me personally i tend to be more up out of my seat anyways um and then also just looking at the different uh ergonomics of how people kind of set up their key you know the keyboard yes. and the mice and everything i mean it's very everyone's different yeah and so i think taking that into consideration and understanding your own uh body mechanics and how you best operate i don't necessarily have a solution in terms of the chair itself but mainly just be mindful of your position and your posture so a lot of times people tend to be overextended so the rib cage tends to lift farther up uh, but if you can bring your rib cage down and set your core and get your sit bone or sit muscles, you know, um, set up in a way where your spine's neutral, that's going to allow you to main that, maintain that position for longer periods of time, but then also improving blood flow. Because again, everything I talk about is going to try to go back to the circulatory effect. If you restrict blood flow to your brain, I mean, you're not going to be thinking at your optimum. You know, I mean, like, what if I told you reaching your true potential was just the beginning, but part of that was just looking at the fundamental principles of how you're sitting and improving blood flow. 
Right? I mean, then that's a whole new ball game. So I think it's a matter of understanding what positions you tend to be in, what feels good, but then optimizing whether it's bracing your core and doing exercises outside of the chair um, to strengthen the entire body to be able to maintain these positions for longer periods of time. It, it is It is also like, as you said, like uh, everybody's different is such a, a yes. key thing because when you, when you go onto YouTube and let's say you're like learning, how, you want to learn how to do a deadlift or something, you're probably going to find someone who's got like the perfect anatomy for a deadlift and has oh, just like yeah. really good genetics. Yep. And then you'll try to like mimic what he's doing. And like, like I have like long femurs and like a long, long like torso. So deadlifts were like back exercises. And then yep. I found that because my flexibility on top of that wasn't amazing. Sure. Then you know, lack of hamstring flexibility meant that it was like my, it was forcing my, my pelvic tilt into mm -hmm. then rounding my back. Yep. And then my back's in a position where the deadlift yep. gave me an injury. Compromised so, <laughs> position, yeah. So it's like all these compensatory things are happening. And that, and that is just like not having an understanding of like your body. Yes. And uh, there's actually, um, uh, been a piece of content that I've been wanting to put together, which is understanding how to do this setup, like from more of a scientific perspective, like understanding, for example, like what you need to achieve within the game and, and how that relates to your your physical capabilities, yep. anatomical capabilities. Like for example, with your wrist, like from a neutral position, if you're, if you're going to be someone that favors aiming with a wrist, what you need to do in the game is be able to flick maybe between you know 45 degrees left and right without without moving that and obviously the the external is that do you call it external with the yeah. so yeah the external internal rotation of, of the wrist is different on on the inside as, as opposed to the outside so sure. i feel like there is i feel like there's a sciencey approach to all of this which yep. has not actually currently been done yep. um to kind of optimize those things and have you be very comfortable because oh, yeah. most people will sit down and they'll have no idea of you know what habits should i should i get like like you said like the blank slate thing you know i feel like there's a lot of potential to have people start out right when so many of us can't yep. be safe. I can't be, you know, yeah. <laughs> can't, can't be safe. But yeah, I mean, I, I love it, man. I and mean, these yeah. are all the questions I ask on a daily basis. You know, it's it's let's look at what is absolutely essential for a gamer to be successful, and then what are the components of that, and then what are the ideas um, and the interventions we can create to facilitate to put somebody in the best position to be successful. Um, so yeah, if you want to talk to an ergonomic specialist, I'll hook you up. One of my buddies is one. And we've been oh, talking awesome. about that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're always... I've also tried to reach out to Herman Miller. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, to, they're, uh, they're awesome, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm incredibly grateful for the people in my network. And I have these conversations a lot. I mean, that's probably why I want to start my own podcast too. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I want to bridge the gap between what's being done in traditional sports and how we can apply it in esports and create a dialogue around, okay, let's... It's not starting over, but it's a uh, evolution, right? It's let's continue to evolve in what we think is possible, knowing what we know, but also being very cognizant of the fact that, you know, we don't know everything. We only know what we know, so that means there's a lot to be learned out there, right? And that's what that's what fires me up the most. That and then sharing that with everybody. So, so quickly then. Um so, because you, you came from the traditional sports area, did, did, mm -hmm. did you have any concept of gaming before that? Really, did you play any games or know about esports before? Or? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. you know, I, I played a little bit of games growing up. But to be honest, I was never very good at it. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I was always, uh, I was always more of a physical person. Mm -hmm. So we talked about martial arts. I mean, I, I've been doing martial arts for about fifteen years, and so um, the physicality of that, like for me, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was a. Um, you know, it's a body and mind chess game. You know, and I've done many different styles of martial arts, but Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu resonated with me the most. Um, 
but you can learn something from all of those arts and all those practices and apply it. There's no difference. There are governing dynamics amongst everything. I and mean, there's a common thread that links together everything. If you pull it hard enough, everything comes together. Um, so to your point or your question, it's like I knew of eSports, I knew of gaming. Um, I had no idea how big it had gotten. But when I started to look at it, I was like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, I was, was, was going to say because yeah. the, the common thing is that people that come from outside, they, they look at it like, is, it, like, is that a sport? Like, Oh, man, you should, have so heard my, you should have heard my colleagues and my mentors when I was yeah. like, I'm going into the game. And they're like, what? I mean, I, I, I'm, I came, from a very, uh, came from a pretty prestigious like, uh, pedigree in collegiate coaching where you know, I coached some phenomenal coaches at UCLA and USC and Auburn, Louisiana Lafayette, San Jose State. And some of them got it, some of them didn't initially, but now they all get it. And they're all just like hitting me up, like, hey man, so how's that going? <laughs> because there's so much to be learned in this space that could be brought back into traditional sports. And so that's what fires me up, man. It's so, like, give me an example of that, like what, what are you talking about? Yeah, so for me, like one of the conversations, one of the many conversations I'm having right now is, what can we learn from a cognitive standpoint of how to optimize day-to-day training and can that be used in traditional sports? Right, so this right. whole idea of cognitive load and periodization, we do it very well in traditional sports on the physical side. We work backwards from game day. So the load in which we place on the individual athletes and the team varies throughout the days, throughout the weeks, because we want to make sure we peak on game day. Yeah. So if we play American football on Sunday, Saturday looks very different than Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday. Okay. Can we do that same thing on the cognitive side? My strong feeling is yes. And how we do that uh, is to be determined in terms of looking at the different variables and what can be, what are the correlations between these objective markers we're looking at and subjective, then how do we apply that to this gaming space? I mean, that's what Quite honestly, that's what keeps me up at night because I'm just I get so fired up on it. I'm like a yeah, mad yeah, scientist, yeah. man. I got whiteboards in my house. I'm just like going at it, you know. <laughs> that's the stuff I love. Um, nice. So yeah, and that's one of the things. The other part is you know understanding talent identification and selection. Again, what can we learn on the cognitive side of of what really makes you know a badass gamer to be most successful? And are there any correlations between what's what athletes are doing on the traditional side? And then if that's true, you know. How do we how do we build that bridge, right? I mean, how do we have that conversation, you know? And I'll just kind of tie this in, and is you know, I'm a, I'm not very into sci-fi, but I have been recently, and you know, I'm a firm believer that when virtual reality hits, and what I mean by that is that when it becomes like you know mass, you know, like mass scale, yeah, like very cheap, very accessible. Yes, yes, yes. I think that uh, the landscapes of sports is going to change as we know it, because what's going to happen is when it becomes like Ready Player One which I am a firm believer that it will. Uh, when you are running, jumping, moving in space, but in a virtual reality, everything I've done in my career on the physical side in terms of periodization and load management is gonna dovetail with everything we're doing on the cognitive side, load and periodization, and the technical, tactical, the physical, and the cognitive preparation of these athletes, it's gonna become one. And now we're talking about creating a whole new badass breed of athlete. <laughs> and that, my friend, is yeah. what fires me up. I see. I see. I see like, I can, yeah, I, dude. I'm getting it now because I'm seeing what your yes, long-term dude. picture looks yes, like. Yes, dude. So that's, that's really cool. Yes. Because I always find it really interesting, actually, because having, having done this myself, like, since the year 2000, when it, competitive gaming really started to take off, well, in a small scale, but very niche back then, but still, um, 
I always thought it was fascinating just from a performance perspective, the idea of like, you know, first of all, just, just as a player being curious and how to be better myself, like understanding like, you know, how do I hit flow state all the time? Cause it becomes really apparent yeah. that when you're playing, it's like, okay, some days I'm much better than others. Some, and then some moments I, I'm untouchable yep. and, and I mean, okay, I know that's flow state. Okay. How do I achieve that more often? How sure. do I get consistency around that? And just that, that journey was like always just so fascinating. And that's, that's stuck with me for like, you know, 18 years. I just so fascinated and just yep. so obsessed by it. And I really like in, in video games, like a game like Counter-Strike. And I, th I think, Again, I, ha I have never played any any sport at a professional level, so I, I I'm not necessarily in the best place to, to comment. But I feel like in gaming, there is like the amount of decision making and sort of mental gymnastics you have to do is is ridiculous. Sure. But you also have to marry it, um, you know, with the conscious and the subconscious brain because all these sort of performance that comes from just executing technique like you know just you know shooting and, and moving around and all the mechanics and stuff that's best place in your subconscious and it's that's all your preparation all your training goes in there but there is an element like you know where it's, it's going to be communication where it's going to be reading the situation or calling to your teammates where you're sort of in consciously having to also also um act at the same time and both you, you can't be in both places at the same time but to be in to have the best performance you have to be in, in a subconsciously in a subconscious mode yep. and so i love that this this balance is like very difficult yes. to, to to have consistency with that and that's that's one of the reasons why it's, it's like very very uh amazing when you see people that are just godlike yes. at, at, at the sport because there's very few that can do that to a very very high level all the time and yes. i just i'm like how do you get there yep. i know that there's definitely an approach because I'm, I'm a believer, I don't know if, if you are too, that pretty much anybody can be, you know, in the top 1% of pretty much anything. It's just all comes down to approach. Um, that's, that's kind of my belief, at least. Sure. Yeah. I think there's definitely some truth to that. You know, there's, I believe that things are inherently complex, but that doesn't mean they need to be complicated. Those are two separate things. Yeah, you said that earlier. I like yes, that. Yes, yeah. man. It's like things are very, very complex. The human body is incredibly complex. But when you can break it down into its essential components, it's very quite simple in how it all interacts. It doesn't need to be complicated. People tend to overcomplicate things. Um, and so I think by, by truly uh, you know, creating that outcome goal and understanding the behaviors that feed into that, you then have a much clearer roadmap to ultimately being successful. But then you gotta understand like a person's definition of success is relative. So being honest with yourself and what that means is very important because there's an objective and a subjective side to that. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's having the tools in the toolbox to be successful and everybody has the potential to do amazing things. And again, it kind of, what I said earlier, it's like, what if I told you that reaching your true potential is just the beginning? <laughs> I mean, yeah. imagine that. Imagine that. Like you reach a point in which, okay, you have finally opened the gates to where you can now truly optimize your body to a point in which you can feel those flow states and you understand yourself to a level in which you never thought possible where you know how to navigate life and always be on but then also have the ability to compartmentalize and shut off and reset and so you know to the point about practicing um, when I was in college I did a summer abroad in the Czech Republic and it was all based around performance psychology and performance training and uh, one of the individuals that I met was a uh, track athlete. And he was talking about his training protocol in that, you know, he would be, he would run sprints, you know, part of his practice. And 
as soon as he hit a great sprint, he'd stop practice. It didn't matter if he had another hour to go, he would stop because success breeds success. And he didn't want to go past that point of um, burning himself out, which was a pretty interesting concept. And then Charlie, the late Charlie Francis was a track and field coach out of Canada. He was Ben Johnson's track coach. He did the same thing. I mean, he would watch his athletes and, you know, they had a great run. He'd be like, all right, you're done. Because there's this minimum effective dosage. And again, to this whole idea of, you know, success breeds success. Don't, you know, scream yourself into the ground where, you know, okay, you're absolutely destroyed. Okay, well, tomorrow will be a better day. You got to be the best version of yourself every single day. You're going to, every day is going to be different. But the idea is to get the most bang for your buck out of that day, but then not overload yourself. And I think that's a, an internal conversation you need to have. But that's also a conversation that needs to be understood amongst the coaches and the, and the rest of the players, too. Do you have any tips to people that's um, because you, previously you sort of mentioned how you can sort of you would want to structure or, or or you know yeah structure your day to have the best effect on your training and performance and so on and so forth and do you, like that that's uh, you know when you were talking about it it sounded like quite regimented which you know for an athlete it would be I mean it's your yep. profession and you're going to have coaches and people like guiding you through it it's yep. going to it's going to work out but if you're let's say an, you know an amateur who doesn't have access to those resources sure. and you want to but you want to or you're People, you know, like us, where we just obsessed with how can we get there. What, what do you think would be the the best tips for someone that would struggle with something that seems quite restrictive in that way? Because some people do not do well with a restrictive yeah. kind of regimented type of yeah, system. Yeah. So how can you still? Is there, is there anything? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that? a great that's a great question. So I think creating a framework is key. Um, and so while um, frameworks can be structured, it allows you the freedom to move within. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. you want to have an overall framework that you can operate within, but give yourself the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to do a little bit more today or I'll do a little bit less. So you, so you have some, some rules, basically. Yes, yeah, so so you, okay, yeah. so you create some, some boundaries or some rules. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not a big fan of rules. I think rules are just suggestions, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's all, everything's a suggestion. Uh, but <laughs> that's, can, yeah, that's true. You know, everything's just a suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so really it's like, okay, so for instance, let's say you have three days a week to practice. Okay. Um, one of those days will be on the weekend. So you have a little bit longer. So let's say you have, uh, if you want to do a long day on the weekend, so you have eight hours and then maybe you have, you know, two smaller sessions in the middle of the week, you know, two to four hours, or maybe even just one hour. It doesn't matter what I would do or what I would say is, okay, well, what is the total amount of practice time you have per week? What are the number of days that you can um, allocate to those practice times and then what makes sense with your schedule with your work schedule school schedule to figure out what block of training makes sense and then when you do that you then take a look at okay well what else is going on within that day is it going to be is like Monday going to be like a, a class day where I'm in class for five hours and I have work and I only have an hour to practice well that maybe may not be the best day to have a very intense practice day so maybe what you're doing is you're going through and it's just technical stuff or tactical, really. You know, you're just kind of going through, you're just looking at different set pieces, you're just working through the maps. Um, you kind of pick a derivative of, you know, this high, you know, the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the most ideal day, okay? But you just do a small component of that. So you do a piece of this ideal day within that one hour block. And let's say maybe Wednesday you have three hours and it's a less stressful day. Well, maybe you allocate more time to really get down in the weeds of what you need to accomplish and then what you can do on that saturday or sunday where you have you know let's say six hours you can put it all together does that kind of make sense or does that answer yeah. your question yeah you know yeah, yeah. it's so you like you say you have the framework and so correct you can create um 
you can create options yeah. with so, your day so that you don't have to do X by Y, but, yeah. but in the day your goal is to achieve yeah, this. Exactly. Or, it's having daily goals. Like, yeah. you know, what I would encourage too is when you sit down to practice, say, okay, what is the one thing that I need to accomplish today to make this practice a success? And not like five things, like one thing. Yeah, what is yeah. the one thing that I really need to practice that I know will make me a better player? And just focus on that. Like I've even talked to guys, it's like, hey, you have a whole slew of weapons. You know, maybe like one day you just focus on the sniper. Like let's say your sniper game's off. So maybe you just take your sniper and you just focus on that. And that's the only gun you use in the entire game. And that's what you focus on. Yeah. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, why wouldn't you? I and mean, some people do that. You know, and it's, it's just a matter of, again, kind of giving yourself the freedom. And on the flip side, it's like, hey, let's say you have that one hour and you just want to get a hard game in because, you know, like the next day you're just going to have off and you're just going to rest. Like, go at it, man. So, again, it's having that framework and just knowing that it doesn't all have to be accomplished within that one day. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's about the dosage, right? It's how you spread it out over the week. It's really interesting as well from like a, an emotional perspective. I actually just realized I've only got 17 minutes left on, okay. the, on the, so uh, I quickly want to get this point out before yeah. uh, moving moving forwards. Um, it's kind of a big area, but uh, the emotional, like you can you can set yourself up to fail sometimes emotionally. Sure. Um, so that that's always been an interesting one uh, for me. For example, um, people like, like in poker, for example, let's say people chase their losses sometimes. And I think that that can happen too within practice. Like if you have, let's say, a day of practice and you, you end on a bad note last couple hours maybe you lost a couple games even though it's maybe unimportant ultimately and um, you're still doing the work you're supposed to do you feel emotionally pretty bad because you're emotionally tied into the game because it's all you do of course most of the time i mean it go, does go back to your point about life balance um which will make those losses a little less uh, bad but but um how like do you have any tricks in keeping yourself honest and not sort of leading yourself down more of a path of rationalizing things and playing that extra game when maybe you shouldn't and, and so on and so forth? Oh, man, that's a great, great question. Um, this kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier about um, journaling. Um, and again, identifying like what's the one thing for that practice day. Right, right. Because if you can accomplish that, and even if you don't, if you work towards that goal, then that's a win. So, so it's framing it as a win by understanding what you're doing in the long term. It's a process. Yeah, it's not Brother, day it by is day. a process. It's just like anything else, right? Like you are not going to build Rome in one day. It's a process. And so I think by having a, a, a roadmap, again, to understand that, hey, this is where I want to end up and this is the behaviors and this is what needs to happen along that way. Um, you know, I'm a, I use the best self journal which is kind of how I compartmentalize and un unpack rather my day and how I track it over time. And using those principles is fantastic. I mean, you basically, you map out your schedule for that day in the morning and nighttime gratitude, which is huge just for emotional wellness. Um, and also I don't think people take time to really think, I mean, today's Thanksgiving, you know, I'm grateful for friends and family out there. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's also, you know, people don't really take the time to be grateful for man, like life's awesome. You know, and you need to have that viewpoint. It's a conditioned viewpoint to, to see it that way. Uh, but also, you know, listing out maybe three objectives that you need to accomplish that day, but what is the one big goal that you want to accomplish? And then what are the derivatives of that of that goal? And then lessons learned, big wins, and that's it. And you track that over time. Um, and so I think, you know, being able to disassociate that from just the daily grind, I think people just kind of fall, fall into this groove of like, you just got to grind, you got to grind, and that's how they get sucked in. Yeah, it's, it's the, uh, the dumb practice versus 
the intelligent practice. Yeah, there's a great book called Practice Perfect, or Perfect Practice, I believe. Um, yeah, I'm blanking on the author's name. That's a fantastic book. But I mean, it's, it's used in um, education systems, uh, but you can apply that to any sort of practice. It's, it's actually phenomenal. I encourage people to read it. Awesome. Right. Um, last couple questions. Yeah. Um, so what is the, like, uh, okay, I'm trying to think what was you're saying again. It's, uh, it's, it's complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Correct. Right. So, so what is, um, what is a simple way that let's say, you know, your average show at home who, who wants to improve and, and better their performance. What is like the one or two things that they should do? Uh, that doesn't cost anything. That's easy that you, that you think is like right at the top, like top priority. Yeah. Um, okay, so first one is uh, take care of your body. Take care of your body and your mind, so sleep. Really work on better sleep habits um, and aim for seven to nine hours of sleep and drink water. You know, that's like from the nutrition side. That's very, very simple. Um, you can add a pinch of sea salt to your water so you get some sodium and electrolytes to so retain the water, put a little bit of lemon, you know, and you're good to go, bounce out the pH. Um, from a technical tactical side and just understanding um, practice itself I think journaling and keeping track of each day is really beneficial you know and being able to look back on your notes and saying okay what did I do well what did it's I also do scary. wrong what's that <laughs> it's also, it could be scary it can be but that's how you learn man. yeah and it's yeah. like you can't just like okay I'm not thinking about it again but then if it keeps happening yeah. well then you should probably do something about it I think those are the two biggest things um yeah, I mean, I would start with that. I mean, again, it's like I'm a firm believer in major in the majors. You know, it does not have to happen all at once. You need to create a strong foundation, um, you know, and then build consistency over time. It's about having habits and then turn into lifestyle changes. And that's that doesn't apply just to overall life. That's also applying to your in-game mechanics and your performance as well. Okay, um, best bang for buck supplements. Oh man. So I would say, uh, like a super greens, uh, powder. Um, and what, why, why would that be? Because I think a lot of people don't eat enough fruits and veggies. Yeah. Okay. okay. It's not that I think, I, I mean, I know that a majority of people, I mean, even if, I mean, I eat a ton of fruits and veggies, but I still will do a scoop just because yeah. there's some other great, um, you know, vitamins and minerals that I'm not getting in different fruits that I can get out of that. And, and the, the, the powdered form is, it's not, not a gimmick. It's, it's, although it's a powder, everything's it's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, good, good. it's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, some are better than others. Um, athletic greens is great. Uh, there's another one I'm blanking on the name. I'll give you the, I'll give you your show notes. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that's great. Um, vitamin D is huge, especially for gamers who are inside right vitamin yep. d get that get that in um and magnesium those are like the two big vitamins i always recommend i mean magnesium is great for cellular function nerve function cognitive performance um and vitamin d is just going to help with overall bone density and just helps with a ton of other enzymatic properties as well awesome okay and finally um you've already mentioned some some resources books and, and whatnot what is uh, a great resource you can think of right now that you think people would, would uh, benefit greatly from reading? Yeah, you could check out my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting to that off the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's the problem is there's a lot of information out there. And what we're trying to do with, with our Twitter is like take that information and make it really accessible and applicable to gaming. Um, but it's um, Precision Nutrition does a really good job 
Uh, they're a Toronto-based company. That's actually how I have my nutrition certifications through. They do a great job awesome. of their nutritional information and just like lifestyle and habits. That's great. Um, gosh, that's the only one that's really coming to mind. Awesome. You know, from the nutrition side. And we try to do a good job of hitting all fronts on our Twitter. Cool. Okay, so give me the details. Twitter, yeah, your personal one. Um, yeah. And just everything. So, Disclaimer, I'm not great with Twitter personally, so I'm slowly getting on the Twitter game, right, on the Twitter machine. So mine is at uh, Coach T underscore Johnson, and uh, our Innovative Performance Institute is at Inside IPI. And so the kinds of stuff that, you know, you just mentioned for, well, okay, so you mentioned with um, the company, like what you would be tweeting, but with uh, with regards to your personal uh, yeah. Twitter, what, what kind of stuff do you tend, tend That's to- That's a great point, man. I'm still trying to figure there. that out, you know, okay, because yeah. I hadn't really, uh, hadn't really been real big on the Twitter game before. I'm yeah, a pretty yeah. private person, you know? So yeah. now it's like, okay, well, what do I want? What am I really trying to put out there? So uh, it's going to be more of my own personal training, but just kind of like daily thoughts and just kind of like knowledge that I'm trying to share with people. And and really kind of share this experience of going now from traditional sports into esports and what that path looks like and the conversations and that'll kind of tie into this podcast I want to create as well where it's going to bridge the gap between traditional sports and esports. That's amazing. Um, well, Taylor, thank you so much for your time. Thank and you, brother. I, yeah. I'll, I'll probably try to steal more of it because there's so many things as we're going through. I'm Let's like, keep oh, this, yeah, man. this, of course. this. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. It's been amazing. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, man. Cool.